Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, Stephen, I just ate a Starbucks Corporation blueberry muffin, which I... (laughs) Okay. I need you to know was exquisite i decided to treat myself this morning uh and and what a what a treat it was anyway that's it i remember i used to get (laughs) starbucks baked goods hey use offer code aether for 10 percent off your next blueberry muffin the stealth ads in in ita season three are kind of (laughs) whack i just had this distinct memory of um of starting your squarespace site okay (laughs) (laughs) i was lounging on my caster mattress (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and my life began when my blue apron showed up. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> it is funny though. I do use a lot of those services. Anyway, I, I when I commuted to New York when I was working at an art gallery, I like I find that in a in a city commute, you will settle for less with like what your bodily needs are in terms for of hunger real. and thirst. Yes. Uh, so I would often go to Starbucks and get an egg salad sandwich. I don't know why. I like never. Never oh, liked it. Yeah. It is easily the worst thing to get at a Starbucks other than chips. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I ever I was always like, let me give this cold arugula, like yes. bad breath sandwich another shot. <laughs> yeah. When I worked there, I ate everything on the menu. And that was, I think, the, the worst thing on the menu. <laughs> I I have a secret to tell you. That's why I moved to Chicago. Because I, I ordered that so many times in New York. I had ruined my East Coast <laughs> reputation. They had, they had wanted uh, posters up all over the city. <laughs> <laughs> this dude doesn't even get coffee. He just gets <laughs> egg salad. <laughs> it was the kind of thing where I needed to get coffee and I had like 20 minutes before I had to like book it to Brooklyn and then back to the Upper East Side for some strange thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, egg salad is <laughs> What a great segue s- to the game we're talking about this week. Our um, brand season one was coleslaw and now we're on to egg salad. What will be next? I don't know. Um, what was our season two meal? Anyway, <laughs> speaking of meals and egg salads and uh, moving to uh, the city, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to hear about it. Uh, the last first party big Sony release for the PS4, the end of a generation, yes, Brendan. Yes, literally the reason I bought it. Like that yeah. th- that sentence that you just said was the, the A to Z of reasons why I purchased the video game was yeah. I I mean I if you've been listening to the show for a long time uh, and Steven you know this very well but I I just like being like part of something <laughs> That sounded really sad. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> Open up Starbucks. Except me. I don't know. I, I just I just like I, I just like experiencing the thing when it's hot. You know what I mean? Which yeah, is totally. why I keep checking out Fortnite over and over again. <laughs> um, it's why I was revisiting Minecraft. Uh, whatever that was that we did that. But anyway, oh, it's and it's why I got Last of Us Part Two. Right? It was like I don't know. It seemed like the biggest tentpole release of of the year for sony at least on the ps4 um Mm -hmm. but weirdly hot on the heels of that was ghost of tsushima which is like kind of a bizarre thing to have them scheduled so closely together i i thought especially that they didn't reverse the order of them because last of us part two seems like the one that you would want to go out on and ghost of tsushima didn't really get a whole lot of promo in in yeah. the lead up to its launch very I mean, the weird. biggest the biggest promo for it was at e3 in 2018 and i think <laughs> i think we talked about it like you know in our first test episode that you know is our first episode release for the show like we discussed that we both thought it looked cool and we're excited about it but there wasn't like a lot of gameplay from that it was really just the visuals yeah i, so, I like, remember very specifically uh you just i you just like jogged my memory i just had a jimmy neutron brain blast about this but i i, I remember <laughs> listening to a podcast i don't 
don't remember which one it was in particular, but I remember listening to a podcast. It might have been Waypoint. And they were talking about how they got to see the game, like a demo of the game being played behind closed doors at E3, I think 2018 or maybe 2019. Um, and they had that whole bit where there's there's the, the protagonist and he's like facing off against three guys um, and there are no button prompts, but like he wipes out the three of them in like one quick slash each. And and I remember somebody on the podcast was like, how did you do that? What buttons did you press? Like, what was that that just happened? And they like refused to say what buttons were being pressed. Like they refused to say how mechanically you kill a guy with a sword in their video game. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm very worried about this game. Like I, I yeah, that was the moment where I where I had no idea what it was going to be or how it was going to play. Uh, and then I think it was a month ago or two months ago, something like that. The time doesn't make sense anymore. But there, there was a there's a PlayStation <laughs> stream where it was like just focused on Ghost of Tsushima and like what the game was going to be. And it was like maybe an hour of gameplay and, and like just kind of a walkthrough of the whole vibe of that thing. And that was um, it, it, it didn't exactly get me more hyped about it. I mean, it was pretty much like, here's a big open world. Uh, you're going to run around and you're going to do like checklisty stuff, kind of like an Assassin's Creed game or like Horizon Zero Dawn or something. Not that those games are bad. I've talked a lot about how much I like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, and I actually was playing a bunch of Origins recently, which I didn't even talk about on the show, but Origins was extremely on sale. So I picked it up and started playing that, uh, which is also great. And and Horizon Zero Dawn, also one of the best PS4 exclusives, I think. Um, totally. Yeah. But and this is, I think, maybe a good way to lead into my experience playing the game. Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, most notably, I think for us, at least for you and I, is the game that like kind of close the book on that style of open world game because literally like a week or two later Breath of the Wild came out and pretty much like changed everyone's preconceptions about what an open world game could and should be um, and yeah. was like here's what the future looks like. Horizon Zero Dawn, great like MVP of that kind of game um, but Breath of the Wild is is the future and like this is what things are going to be modeled after probably going forward and and Ghost of Tsushima is, is an interesting experience in that it's been in development for a really long time. So it's by Sucker Punch, who made uh, the Sly Cooper games, which I love. Love the Sly Cooper games. I think of those like three like Sony uh, mascots that they had all at the same time between Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper. Uh, Sly Cooper was my favorite of the of those three franchises. I don't know about you. Oh, man. How can I choose? Uh, <laughs> I think Ratchet Clank, probably. Yeah. But I mean, Sly Cooper has that Phantom Thief aura about him. Yeah. You know? I mean, so good. Uh, yeah. That's actually the yeah. first game that I platinumed by accident was was the first Sly Cooper because <laughs> they re-released the trilogy on PS3 and I played through the first one and just by finishing it you platinum it which I didn't realize you don't even have to get any of the side stuff which is bizarre I love that more games should do that I agree I love an easy platinum I have yet to platinum anything oh really Spider-Man the, fir- the, the first Spider-Man is is a really good one to platinum mm. um, they, they make that very simple uh, you can really what about Sekiro not gonna, I, do I that? think Sekiro is probably <laughs> number two after Spider-Man <laughs> The other one that I platinumed is The Witness, which I will bring up every time we talk about platinums. But anyway, yeah, so they made they made the Sly Cooper games and then they made the infamous games, which you and I were talking about a little bit last night. Yeah. So I was trying to remember what they made because it's been a while, which I think you'll probably get to. It's been a long time since they've made their last game. Yes. So they made Infamous and then Infamous 2, which were both PS3 games, uh, which yeah. you played, right? I played. Yeah, I played the first two. The, the We talked about this point specifically last night. Those games came out at a time where like player choice and morality systems were big. Yeah. Like, Fallout 3, Mass Effect, and Infamous was kind of, were kind of in this, like, selling point zeitgeist of, like, you can be good or evil. I guess Fable did that, too, like, a yeah. year prior. And the first one I thought was, like, 
conceptually interesting but kind of fell flat on its face but i really enjoyed the second one i think because uh, i played that in college with like the people i was living with at the time we all kind of watched each other experience it so i have like a fond personal memory of the game even mm. if i don't like maybe recall the game itself that strongly yeah um but i thought it was a fun i thought i thought it was definitely an improvement on the first one i haven't mm. played the other ones though yeah, I, I remember playing uh, Infamous 1 and thinking it was like, okay, and then picking up Infamous 2. And I think it was in that like awkward period for me where I'd like moved back with my parents after dropping out of college and I like set up a PS3 in my bedroom and just like decided to catch up on the entire PS3 generation because I had missed it. And uh, and that was one of the games I played and I liked it. I got like towards the end of it, I think. I, I don't know if I finished it, but I, I got towards the end of it. Um, I that The thing about that game that I think really stuck out to me was how fun traversal was. Like they really nailed yeah. just like movement and locomotion in that game um, in a really, really satisfying way. And all the powers were great. I mean, that skill tree was like really wild. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Cool game. So they made those. Uh, and then Infamous Second Son, which was, I think, a launch game for the PS4, if, I, if I'm if i recalling correctly, or like was in the launch window, at least. It was early on. Yeah, it was 2014, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think a year later was Infamous First Light, which was kind of their like Lost Legacy, like standalone DLC storyline thing, which a lot of people liked, but both of those, uh, I think First Light in particular, people liked. I'm, I'm not really sure. There's there's one of those two that people are like, this is the good one. I didn't really like either of them, personally. Uh, I, I bounced off both of them pretty hard. Uh, to be totally honest. So I, I was kind of like interested in where Sucker Punch was going after that. Um, yeah. and, and it turns out that they've spent the last uh, like six actual years working on Ghost of Tsushima, which is like pretty wild. So there there have been other games that they were working on that got like scrapped, I think, like in production. But it has all led up to Tsushima existing. And, and this is a game that I think like you can't really talk about what it is and how it was released without also talking about what the past six years have been like, because I think they started developing this game under the assumption that like this kind of open world checklist game, like an Assassin's Creed was going to still be the thing going forward. Yeah. Right. They, they weren't yeah. like trying to rethink it. And then you get three years into that development cycle. And that's when Breath of the Wild comes out, you know, like halfway in. And I think that they, I, you can see in some of the design that they have definitely changed or like kind of uh, bent a little bit, towards the Breath of the Wild side of things in reaction to that game existing. So you have this weird blend of both like the Horizon Zero Dawn Assassin's Creed side of things and the Breath of the Wild side of things um, where it, it is an open world checklist game where you're just kind of wandering around like, you know, um, just like visiting specific locations and doing side quests and like collecting things and like hunting bears so you can like uh, get their pelts so you can upgrade the amount of arrows you can carry. Like it has all of that like very classic stuff, but they also lean really hard hard into like aesthetic and exploration being like king over everything else um going so far as a, a, a thing that i really enjoy in the settings which is a mode that um turns the hud off completely except for stuff that like will mm. contextually pop up if it's really necessary so like if you get hit by a fucking sword, your health bar will show up. And that's the only time it shows up, you know, like yeah. those kinds of things, uh, which I turned on, I would say, like five or six hours into playing this game and have not turned off again. Um, it is it is really great. And and I think the like biggest tentpole thing, if I had to like point at one thing and say this is definitely inspired by Breath of the Wild in some way, shape or form, the way that they lead you from point A to point B, if you have a waypoint that you're trying to make it to, 
um, or if you're just trying to traverse the landscape in general, there, there are two things that they do to lead you to that place. One of them is constant, which is that the wind is always blowing in the direction of where you want to be going. Um, and this is a game that, like, I look back at uh, Flower, that PS3 game that yeah, that, ga- yeah. that, they, that game company made. And that was, like, an amazing release at the time on the PS3 because, like, each blade of grass was individually rendered and the wind would blow it in, in a realistic direction. And, like, that was an amazing thing. I mean, that's just this whole game. Like, this whole game is, like... What if we turned like all of that that was impressive about flower and just like made it part of uh, the the exploration uh, like mechanic set, I think. Uh, so so the wind is always blowing in the direction you want to be going, which is great. So like if you ever are kind of confused about where you're supposed to be going, you just stop and then you look at like the closest like flower or tree or reed or whatever. And it's literally pointing in the direction that you want to be going, which is great. On top of that, you can swipe up on the touchpad and it will like literally blow up like a huge gust of wind in that direction which brings up like cartoony like wind swirly lines which are very weird i think like in conjunction with the rest of the game visually but they're fine they're effective i mean they work i i I have not found them to be like off-putting in any way they're just like goofy that they look like that i think because the rest of the game is trying so hard i think to look like semi-realistic so that's one way and then the other way is if there is a waypoint on the map or like a secret on the map that you haven't unlocked yet right because like they're as with this kind of game you look at the map and there's question marks and you can like tap on a question mark and go to that point um if there's a question mark that you haven't uncovered yet in the map technically a golden bird will show up and will start flying towards the direction of that thing and you can follow the bird like on your horse or like on foot uh towards whatever thing you're trying to get to and eventually it'll lead you to that place which will maybe be a side quest or like a hot spring that will upgrade your health or uh like a bamboo cutting mini game that will upgrade your uh resolve which is a thing that i may or may not talk about later but i just i find i find that those two things by themselves the wind and the golden birds are like are so about uh making exploration the most key component of the experience that like i think they have to have been inspired by breath of the wild in some way shape or form because that game is so much about like coming over a hill and seeing something interesting and running to it and finding out what is there. And like, maybe it's a bacoblin, but maybe also it's like a shrine or maybe it's uh, a chest that has, you know, a hundred rupees in it or something. And, and I think, I think Ghost of Tsushima is also trying to do that thing, but maybe in the design of the world, like that, that idea of like, there is always something interesting to look at and see and run to wasn't as important in developing the world. So to like put a bandaid on that, they introduced the wind stuff. And I think it really fucking works i i have a really great time just kind of like running around and exploring this place so uh, anyway that's i think like the most kind of high level like that's why these two things have kind of like mashed together and and created ghost of tsushima but i i I think like to to actually talk about the gameplay itself you you start to run into a lot of the things that i've been hearing on other podcasts and like reading in reviews and things like that which is like beyond maybe that one thing that i just mentioned the game isn't really doing anything super innovative you know it's not it's not really like pushing the boundaries of the genre it's not really like introducing anything that i that i would call like really spectacular or it's or it's not introducing anything that i think like other people will ape from in the future you know what i mean um that said what it is doing i think is all designed 
so well that it is like extremely effective and like very sticky and has made for an experience that is very easy to write off when you start playing it for all of those reasons. But then eventually becomes like the only thing you want to do. I, I am I, I'm finding uh, this game to be kind of wild in that I think the reason I'm playing it so much is like partially because this this world is so like violent and, and horrific. It feels good to like actually be able to have control over it in like even a menial way whereas like the real world currently is also violent and horrific at the moment and i have you know no semblance of control like there there is something kind of like gratifying or satisfying about like being able to actually like do something to help people um at the moment which i I think is interesting but that said like it really is just like going around to every waypoint on the map and like seeing what's there and like you know you go to a hot spring and it's the same animation of the protagonist like but just like as he kind of like (laughs) sits down into the hot spring and then like a button prompt shows up that's like what do you want to reflect on is it your mom or is it your favorite food and it's like my mom died and it was really sad or my favorite food is rice balls you know like that's it's not like super exciting and then at the end of it like a little thing pops up that's like your maximum health increased but it's by like three pixels you know like it doesn't actually affect anything (laughs) I should have thought about my mom yeah it's it's really ridiculous um yeah. But like that's like the kind that, that's the kind of thing that you're finding. Um, I, I think one of the like goofiest ones that I've seen a lot of people talk about. There's a really great article on Kotaku about this specifically. But um, every once in a while, you'll find a spot that's like just really serene and beautiful, and you you kneel down on it. You like put your sword down. You kneel down there. Uh, and you're asked to write a haiku and you write a haiku by looking at any uh, there, there are a couple points like kind of floating around. And when you look at them, a line of a haiku will show up. So you have to look at it and then pick that line. And that's your starting line. And then it'll show you three more lines. And then you pick one of those lines. That's your second line of the haiku. And then uh, based on whatever one of those you pick, it'll show you three more lines. And then you pick one of those. And then you have written your haiku and you're you're given as a reward for this uh, a new headband. And when you look at the head band of the inventory the haiku that you wrote is there which like weirdly reminds me of kentucky red zero when you're typing in the password yeah yeah i was thinking about that actually in the first thing except um all of those poems were really good in kentucky red zero every poem you could write was a good one and almost every haiku in this game is terrible um, oh no! And and as they point out in that Kotaku article, which maybe I'll link to in in, in the show notes, um, haikus didn't even exist for three hundred years past when this game is set. Anyway, yeah. So like, I think that that by itself gets into one of the most like kind of damning things about this game, which is like it is an extremely Western game developer watching a bunch of Kurosawa movies about samurai and like making a video game set in Japan with the idea that that is what samurai like were at the time. Um, I, th- I think that is like maybe the most like crushing thing you can say about the game. And like they worked with the Kurosawa estate. There is a mode in this game when you turn the game on for the first time, it asks you, do you want to play this game in Kurosawa mode? Which is we got a bunch of uh, Japanese voice actors who are incredible, by the way to do an entire dub of this game. Uh, They made a specific black and white filter that looks exactly like a Kurosawa movie. And the audio is even a bit tinny, kind of like replicate the actual uh, technology that they were able to use at the time to record sound and like display it in, in theaters. That mode is like fine. I had it on for a little bit, like just to see what it was like. But then I ran into a mission where they were like, follow the blue flowers. And I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm playing the game in black and white. What do you mean? Follow the blue flowers. But anyway, like that that to me i think is kind of one of the things that um is 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 a little bit worrying at first when i started playing it was like okay so that this 
to me feels like some game developers like not totally understanding like the actual what the actual rule of samurai was like in Japan in in like the feudal era in like the 12th century uh, when the Mongols invaded and stuff, uh, which is what this game is about. I haven't even gone into like the actual narrative yet, but like that that uh that period of time is not like as as batman as this game wants you to think it is you know like this game yeah. like puts you in the in the shoes of the protagonist whose name is uh, jin sakai he he's a lord in uh sushima which is an island off the i think like kind of more southern area of of japan um like towards korea and he is the last remaining samurai on the island after the mongols invade uh and and all of the samurai and all of the lords um, kind of like line up on a beach to go fight the Mongols. And um, what the the guy who is the leader of the Mongols, he's uh, he's Genghis Khan's, I think, grandson, which is wild. But he shows up on the beach and he's like, send me your finest warrior. I'm going to fight him one on one. Uh, and and uh, your uncle uh, or Jin's uncle is like, OK, here's here's our best guy and sends him out. Uh, and he goes down to the beach to fight this Khan guy and he shows up um, and he's like, OK, fight me like face to face, like a like a man, like because, you know, samurai honor code means we have to fight like eye to eye and whatever. Uh, and and this guy just walks up with a bunch of oil and just throws it on him and then throws a torch on him and just lights him on fire. Oh, wow. And they're like, oh, shit, there are no rules anymore, essentially. And yeah. all the samurai rush down and literally everyone dies except you. You're the only one that doesn't die. And uh, I mean there's some more stuff going on there and I don't really want to spoil it in case other people are playing it. But like, that's pretty much what happens there uh, is you are the last samurai on, on Tsushima. And because of that, people look up to you as like their one hope and savior, essentially, which like in reality, the, the samurai were, were spending a lot of time kind of like ruling via fear because they were so wealthy and so like well-trained and well-armed that that it kind of uh, allowed them to rule in a way that was like as much leaning into like a wealth and power disparity uh, as possible. You know what I mean? Um, and what's really wild about this game, I think, is that it like it gets into that accidentally in really wild ways. Like, I think I think it wants to paint this picture of the samurai as like the the one hope and savior of, of Tsushima. But at the same time like accidentally via storytelling like plot twists quote unquote that are supposed to be like oh that's funny that this happened is actually like a crushing indictment of samurai honor code which i think is really fascinating like there's one uh there's one like really wild example that I want to bring up in particular, uh, which which actually happens a bunch. But there's this one moment where um, I was doing a side mission where uh, I, I rolled up on this woman's farm and she was she was like crying in her house. And and Jin is like, what's wrong? How can I help you? And she's like, uh, a bunch of guys showed up and they stole all of my food, like literally every scrap of food I have. Like if I don't get food soon, I'm probably going to die. I'm going to go hungry. And and Jin is like, OK, I'm going to go get them. Uh, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your food back to about it and she's like please please don't kill them like i'm sure like you know with the mongol invasion and stuff like that i'm sure like they're just trying to fend for themselves also like please just don't just don't like take all of their lives in in revenge for this thing and and jen is like i can't make any promises but i'll try my best and you go and like follow their tracks essentially like you literally have to like track them like through the woods and find the camp that they're all set up at and when you show up there's there's no option to talk to them instead of kill them as soon as they see you they're like oh shit that's the samurai that's the one guy that's left 
we got to fucking kill him because he's here to kill us because we're thieves, essentially. So you just wipe them all out, essentially. And uh, and they have one big thing of rice. And you're like, OK, I got the rice. Like, unfortunately, this all went south. I got the rice, though. I I, I am the last samurai and I got this rice and I'm going to save this woman. And you go back uh, and she's like, oh, thank you so much for getting the rice. But I'm sorry to tell you that I lied to you. They didn't actually steal it from me. I just didn't have any food. And I knew they probably had some and they are bandits and thieves. And and, and why should they have food? And I, like an upstanding person in society, shouldn't have food. Uh, and he's like, oh, wow. and he's like, OK, so you just used me as an instrument of death. And she's like, I told you not to kill them, though. And he's like, you, they didn't give me a choice. They, they attacked me on sight. Like, this is just how this went. And she's like, oh, well, nothing really that we can do about it. Thanks for the rice. And that's where the mission ends. Wow. That's that's where it ends. And that's like that's one of many times in this game where because Jin shows up thinking that he's like the great white knight, thinking that he is above others because he's a lord and all peasants are beneath him. He gets taken advantage of because he has this assumption ingrained in his head that he's better than everyone else and they use him constantly for it. And I think it's yeah. I think it's a fascinating indictment of of like that kind of wealth disparity or that kind of like classism that exists in that in that society. But the game uses it as like plot twists. You know, the game uses it as like, whoops, I lied to you. Isn't that shocking? And the, everybody turns to the camera and winks, you know, but like <laughs> in reality, they're actually saying something very interesting. Um, there's another yeah. there's another instance uh, and, and I'll stop spoiling side quests after this one. Um, <laughs> but there's another instance where you where you find out that another samurai I survived the the assault um, you find out that there's another person who was able to escape and like you escaped kind of like wildly like somebody literally pulled you off the beach uh, and like healed you in a, in a forest somewhere um, so your your inclination is like oh my god it's very possible that somebody else also survived in the same way because people didn't know I was alive for a long time so you start to like wander into uh, into like the, the grasslands to find this farm where the samurai is apparently hiding out to like try and recover from his wounds and you show up on this farm and there's a bunch of women who are working the farm who are like you know all of our husbands died in the assault but we have this samurai and that's great and he is like here and he's going to protect us and you're like okay cool where is he I need to talk to him what is his name? And they tell you his name and you're like, I thought I knew every samurai on the island and I've never heard this guy's name before, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go find him. Um, I'm going to find out where he is. And and they're like, yeah, he's out on like a mission somewhere. So you like, you go out and you like, track him the same way that you tracked the thieves earlier. Uh, and, and you, you like make your way through the woods and you find this guy and he's wearing samurai armor and you're like, what's your name? And he's like, you know, this is my name. And he's like, that's not a real samurai name. I know every samurai on the island. You're lying to me. And then you get into like a one on one duel. That's like very much like fucking samurai movie duel. And he comes at you and it is so easy to parry his attack and fight back that like it's clear he's not trained literally at all. So you hit him one time and he's like, please don't fucking kill me. I'm just yeah. a guy. I'm just a random guy. I was just on the beach. I found the samurai armor. I decided to put it on because I liked the way it made me feel to like be important briefly. And you're like, there is no honor in the thing that you're doing. You are impersonating a samurai. That's fucked up. I'm going to let you live, but I shouldn't because you're besmirching like the entire honor of every samurai who has ever lived and in including me. Um, and he's like, thank you so much. I'm so grateful, whatever. And you're like, OK, next, I'm going to go back to the the farm and I'm going to tell everyone that they've been duped by this guy. And you show up and you're like, 
Look at me, Jin, your savior. I found out that this samurai guy was a fake the whole time, and now you're free from his evil clutches. And they're like, yeah, dude, we fucking know he's not a samurai. Of course he's not. He's an idiot. <laughs> we just liked having him around. It was just nice to have a dude around because all of our husbands died and we're like sad about it. It was nice to have like that kind of energy around. It was fun. It was fun to have him. And you're like, oh, and then that's where that mission ends. <laughs> <laughs> Quest complete. Yeah. I love that. It's wild. Oh. It's just like constantly they keep barraging you with like like Jin thinking that he know he's better educated and better trained and like is 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 the only person that can be the savior of these people and they're constantly like no we're actually pretty good fending for ourselves like the Mongols have invaded and owned the whole island but we are a farm of like forty people and we're like totally good at the moment yeah um, do you think that those I, I think you alluded to this earlier but do you think that those moments are consciously trying to kind of comment on on Jin's perception of class or is that happening by accident. Or do you not know? At the moment, I don't I don't think that they're actually trying to do that. I think that's what yeah. it, I think that's what is happening by accident. Like it doesn't take yeah. a lot to read between the lines and, and see that that's like see that that is the actual critique being made. But I do think that the actual intent and this is, I think, the biggest point that I wanted to make to you specifically, uh, because it's, it's a complete deviation from everything that our podcast stands for. But I think the intent of the scene in both of those instances is like this is like a fun plot twist for the side quest and this is going to be memorable because it's a plot twist not because it's actually an indictment of the thing that Jin thinks he stands for and and the reason I bring up our podcast you and I have so many times as recently as last week in paper in the paper Mario episode talked about judging a game by its intention yeah if you judge this game by its intention its intention is to make an open world game that is like kind of fun to be in that like uh, looks at uh, looks at the idea of a samurai as we know it in pop culture and recreate that in a video game. If you're judging this game by its intention, it kind of isn't doing a very good job. So if you fill in the blanks, I think outside of that, you start to find an incredible video game. Like I have, I have started to love this game. Like going so far as saying like it's going to be in my top ten. Like come goody season, probably not like a number one contender, but like at least in like top five, maybe even top three, because I am starting to, I think, play the game in a way that was not really intended because I'm starting to experience this thing uh, like via, um, I think, my own readings and interpretations of what's happening narratively. Um, I'm starting to enjoy the game more than I think I would have if I took it all at face value the way they wanted me to. So my experience with this game has been I've played like 30 to 40 hours of it, probably. And I literally last night at like one in the morning just finished the first act. And I only did that because I wanted to have finished it so I could just see what happens when you beat an act of the game of like the main storyline. Not because like not because uh, sorry for the podcast specifically, I wanted to finish it, um, not yeah. because I actually wanted to do it. It was just like, well, I guess this is a thing I can do just to unlock more of the map. But the, the map is split into three distinct pieces. And I was perfectly content just doing every single thing that was available on that first bit without doing any of the main storyline and that's been an amazing experience like it's been a really incredible time because i'm spending all my time just kind of like running around letting the wind lead me from one place to another like following golden birds like rolling up on on like weird side quests like this that have like multiple readings by accident 
Um, and and yeah. I mean, I haven't even talked about the photo mode, and I don't even know how much I'm going to go into the photo mode. But it's like easily like like top two maybe photo modes that have ever existed. I mean, it's really incredible. Um, and it's mapped to a D-pad button right from the beginning, so you can always launch into it at any moment, which is amazing. I've been taking way too many pictures and spending a lot of time <laughs> in photo mode. But my experience with the game has literally been more of the Breath of the Wild stuff than the Assassin's Creed Horizon Zero Dawn stuff. Like I really am doing exactly what I did in Breath of the Wild, which is I'm not really riding my horse a whole lot. I'm just kind of running around the environment, taking in the sights, feeling the atmosphere of the thing um, and just letting it wash over me and just being perfectly content in doing that without feeling the need to actually like play the game for real. Like I love just kind of wandering down a road in the middle of nowhere and rolling up on a bunch of Mongols who have like stopped a merchant or something, you know, and like are holding him up for all of his goods and like do. Oh, my God, I can't believe I haven't talked about this yet. But like doing one of my favorite things in the entire game, which is this mode that's called standoff mode, which is if you if you roll up on a bunch of Mongols, whether it's like on the road, like I'm describing or like in in one of their encampments or something, you can do the like sneaky thing, right? You can do the Assassin's Creed Far Cry thing where you're like sneaking through the reeds, picking them off one by one, like waiting for like guys to kind of like separate from everyone else, rolling up behind them and then like assassinating them stealthily and silently. Or you can just run through the front gates, press up on the D-pad and Jin yells, fight me as loud as he possibly can. And everyone shows up where you are. And then you do this like one on one face off mode against one, like whoever is their bravest guy. And then you just wipe him out and then you fight all of them at once. It is thrilling every single time. It is so fun. (laughs) Um, And that's actually, I think, one of the wildest things about this game. And this is why I can't judge it by its intention, like literally at all, is the game is called Ghost of Tsushima. And 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 the the intent behind that name is that over the course of this thing, Jin, having been trained by his uncle, who is another samurai lord, to uphold the code, uplo- uh, uphold the the, uh, the the samurai honor system, um, has been taught that there is a certain way that you engage in battle. And that is exactly what I just described. You press up on the D-pad and you yell, fight me, and then you fight face to face. There is no room in there for sneaking up behind someone and killing them, right? Like that is the whole idea of the samurai honor system. What this game is trying to do narratively is put you in situations where it's very hard to do that. Uh, they they are constantly giving you opportunities to like stab a guy in the back or jump on him from above, you know, and do like a stealth assassination. Um, and as you're unlocking techniques uh, or skill points or whatever, you're unlocking new techniques that aid you in being stealthy and assassinating people. They give you tools that are called like ghosts. I, I think they're called. Um, I actually don't remember. I think ghost tools or something like that. They're essentially just like ways that you can stealthily kill people better. Right. So like smoke bombs, like black powder bombs, like taking wind chimes off of people's houses and like throwing them in places to like distract the enemy. Things like that, like doing everything possible to allow you to stealthily kill people as easily as possible. And and what that what that means is that the game is trying to force you into those situations because narratively what they want the story to be is Jin is turning his back on the samurai code, doing anything possible to try and save his island, essentially. Like he, yeah. he is doing whatever he needs to. He, he's willing to throw out everything that he's learned his entire life if that means being the protector of Tsushima. I have found that to be the most boring way to play this game, which is why, <laughs> which is why I can't, again, judge the game by its intention 
because rolling up into a Mongol base and yelling fight me as loud as possible is the more fun way to play the game always. Yeah. Except for the missions where they force you to go into stealth, which is like, you know, few and far between, but they do actually force you to do it every once in a while. I have always been trying to uphold the samurai honor code, which has been <laughs> hilarious and really fun. Um, yeah. And and it's that kind of confusion that makes me wonder, like, what kind of game they were trying to make, because at a certain point, like somebody is like, they're starting to call you the ghost. And like over time, this kind of um, this reputation <laughs> about you starts to grow where it's like he slaughters people like animals. He he like, you know, shows up from the shadows and wipes people out, which is why Tam from GameSpot uh, tweeted this like forever ago. But he was like, this is just a Batman game. And he's so fucking right, because really what it's about is is you are essentially Batman. You know, Batman's one rule is that he doesn't kill people. Uh, Jin's whole rule is that he has to uphold the samurai code. What happens if Batman kills a guy? You know, like what does that slippery slope downward look like that's what this game is trying to do narratively is like what is the slippery slope of like once you've done one assassination which the first time you do one the first time you kill a guy uh like by stabbing him in the back or something they they do a flashback to like you learning the honor code from your uncle which feels so much to me like that thing everybody talks about with last of us 2 which is like you kill a dog and then you have a flashback of like the other uh, somebody else like playing with that dog when it was a puppy you know like that that kind of back and forth like this is this is that literalized like this really is that where it's like don't you feel bad for doing this and if the game wants you to feel bad for doing it then it shouldn't give you hundreds of tools and skill points that lean into being (laughs) stealthy and being an assassin that's a wild thing to do which is which is why i have been playing the game it it, to me feels like playing grand theft auto and like following all the streetlights you know like (laughs) i mean yeah you're playing this game like a like quixotic samurai who's like i'm here to save the day fight me you know yes which is like very fast Fascinating. I mean, that's you brought up a lot of really interesting points. I mean, I mean, it's probably clear from anyone listening. I have not played this game yet, so I can only <laughs> bounce off what you've been saying um, and what I've seen you play on streams and stuff. But I think that going back to the intention versus execution conversation, I'm, I'm thinking of games where like what enjoyment did I find from this and was it planted there on purpose? I think I the first thought, which is usually my first thought, was Oblivion uh, in the sense that like... <laughs> yeah. Oblivion, one of my favorite games. I talk about it all the time. My main comedic influence. I've never touched the main story. In that game. <laughs> I, I I go out of my way as soon as uh, Patrick Stewart gives me the Amulet of Kings. I book it to the Dark yeah. Brotherhood and like. Yeah, well, given, I haven't either. Now that I think about it, I don't yeah, think I've ever seen the main story. I've done enough of it, but like, I think that it's not a hot take to say that like the main quest of Oblivion is by far the least interesting thing about that game. But at the same time, there is an intention with a lot of Bethesda games to have you play it however you want. So then that kind of muddies yes. it where it's like, I'm finding my own fun in Oblivion. I'm making my own character, making my own story. But that's also kind of what they wanted you to do. So I think that uh, with a game like Ghost of Tsushima, I also think just by nature of it being such a big AAA game and having so many people on it, it's harder to have that concrete intention because so many people yeah. have different ideas and there's different teams for different things and like i can only imagine that the intention gets confused i mean very much like it does in red dead redemption 2 which is another game i was thinking about where it's like that game is half like look in the mirror in the same way god of war was where it's like a rock star character reflecting on being in a rock star game (laughs) and then other parts of it feel like this is straight out of red dead one or whatever Mm -hmm. you know And, and it's a confusing experience 
on top of the fact that like you know they gamify uh cleaning your gun and like yeah you know, i actually i'm glad you brought horse. up red dead too that's a game i really wanted to bring up um i haven't played it still i i have it but i haven't played it but i think it's probably gonna be the next game i play after this because i've been thinking so much while playing sushima about your not even critique but the the thing you actually liked about red dead 2 which is that if you actually kind of let those mechanics the like gun cleaning mechanics and like all of that nonsense wash over you it actually does create a real uh wild sense of place like a really really like kind of compelling sense of place i remember you talking about how much you actually enjoyed the slow pace of life in that game um in a way that you didn't get in red dead one and in a way you don't get in most open world games i think that's like one of one of the areas in which that game seems to have succeeded at least for you and for most people that i've seen talk about it Um, yeah i I mean that, that is definitely like the big uh bumping up point i think for a lot of people but if it works for you then it's really successful um and that is very much what i'm feeling in this game um which doesn't have a lot of those mechanics but by way of having you like follow the wind places if you swipe left on the deep uh, sorry not on the d-pad on the touchpad uh you bust out a, a flute that you can play at any point which like i have found myself like just going to the edges of cliffs overlooking the sea and playing the flute for a while like just for fun um if you swipe down on the d-pad you can bow to people um which like is interesting in that the npcs will often bow to you as you walk by because you're a lord and they're generally peasants um so you can bow back you know which i think is like a really interesting sign of respect in a lot of instances but also if you roll up on like uh, uh like a bunch of mongols who have killed a guy uh like in the street or something and then and then you take out the mongols you can go over to the dead body and you can bow over the dead body and he'll like say a little prayer to that person essentially and if you like go and find like a warrior who's dead and impaled on like a pike somewhere like you can bow to him and also he'll say like a little prayer and i thought that that was really like a goofy mechanic to add i think in the beginning i was like why is this why of the four things on the touchpad that i can do like why why is bowing one of them and i bow fucking constantly like i i find myself so wrapped up and swept up in this place that i find myself doing it way more than i ever thought i was going to when they first introduced that as a mechanic um and that's what reminds me so much about red dead 2 is like so many of those mechanics are there and seem superfluous but actually add to that sense of place and add to that sense of atmosphere and and slow you down even if a lot of them are so like i don't know i i don't even know how to phrase it but some of them are just bad like some of them yeah, don't need I to mean, be that i think extensive. it needed one or two less yes. I, I and we talked about red dead forever ago yeah and and i didn't get super far into it but uh, i think the episode about it was howdy 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 if that you is wanna, the name yeah that's like real early days of, of our show but i described red dead 2 as playing D D with the dm that stops you on everything and it's like uh-uh-uh what's your use rope <laughs> skill I'm like come on like to cut yeah. me some slack but yeah, yeah. i mean i think the fun I had in that game was like weirdly trying to see what a what like the antithesis of a Rockstar game was like what what happens if I just go to town and say hi to everyone. I think my mission in that game was not to be evil but to be annoying. So like, yeah, oh, right, because they had like, a howdy button. That's that's why that episode yeah. is called that, right? There's yeah, a howdy button. Right? Like, yeah, like everyone's like even Mister and like. uh I just was trying to grow the biggest mustache possible and to not be wanted, <laughs> but to be like disliked everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm just messing with you. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I bumped up against like there'll be missions where like I remember I had paid off my bounty and and I'd gone to a new town and I was doing the story mission there. And then that mission is about 
busting this like old colleague of yours out of jail and i suddenly had to like do this shootout in the town and it was i'm like this is not what i wanted to happen and i know that's like that also is weirdly grounding because okay now i'm forced to do this thing that is affecting how i'm playing the game outside the mission but it is weirdly like an internal clash of like what is the it, that was that was a mission that felt like it was out of a traditional rockstar game whereas the rest of the game was like really exploring like the existential dread of like uh what a lot of westerns do uh sometimes where it's like exploring the idea of like sort of the hollow identity of what a cowboy is yeah. you know which right. i think is what you're talking about with ghost of Tsushima, where it's like we have the pop culture samurai but what were samurai actually like in history and is the game like reckoning with that at all right there, there's a really really good and i will definitely link to this one there's a really good article on polygon right now about the history of the samurai in pop culture and specifically how the conservative party in japan has has used that like honor code as as an idea to like essentially just push forward like really conservative kind of like um problematic opinions i think um and how this game like doesn't at all reckon with that but instead like leans into them kind of like naively which i i think is like a really bizarre thing to be grappling with while playing this game yeah um, where whereas yeah. red dead 2 i think by contrast at least in moments you know cowboys and pop culture are traditionally like i think the the same in in the u.s of like they can often be this sort of like dated idolized version of what masculinity means yes um and i think red dead and and a lot of a lot of western films do also explore that kind of like shallow idea but red dead like there are direct lines of dialogue where arthur morgan is like the world doesn't want cowboys anymore like i don't have a purpose here at all Right. Um, which is really fascinating. I don't know how much they commit to that later on, but I think the fact that that game is both reflecting on the perception of cowboys in both pop culture and in history, as well as the perception of Rockstar games. And yeah. like, uh, I, I think that that to me is why I thought that game was really interesting. I wonder, like, as you get further into Tsushima, how much more they're going to interrogate that idea with the side quest you brought up or if it's just sort of like happening by accident. Yes, there moments. there is one mission that I did um, that finishes Act 1 and opens up Act 2. Uh, there's one or two lines of dialogue that made me think like, oh, maybe we are actually going to get into this and it's going to be intentional, which I think, if so will only make me like the game more. But I, I think I think to your point, actually, like just to reflect on the pop culture side of things a little bit, like it's it's hard to at least not touch on the fact that a lot of like our idealized version of like Western cinema and, and the cowboy idealism in pop culture is like firmly rooted in uh in, in like samurai films also, right? Like totally. Oh like, yeah. Like the the lone wanderer of the West is like absolutely just like the samurai honor system idealized but like for a western audience um, exactly and and i think in regarding samurai film and and i'm not super knowledgeable on this but i do know that like in in you know the time of samurai in the edo period and, and in you know areas before and after that the most dishonorable thing was to be masterless like to be you know with without a master and yeah. without you know like a a group that you belong to essentially like you said earlier in the episode i want to belong um uh <laughs> and and it was also disgraceful to like not be like it like you said it was all about wealth and presentation 
uh, and, yeah. and you know, looking refined. And, and I think there's no coincidence that in a lot of post-World War II uh, Japanese film, the hero is almost always a samurai that rejects that idea. It's the lone wanderer, the ronin who mm-hmm. has, you know, a shaggy appearance, maybe is like unshaven and like the the hero in those films is someone who is is literally rejecting the samurai code even though they are one um which i think is really fascinating oh my god there's so much stuff i would love to tell you about that it is like so wildly spoilery but is is one of the reasons that i think this game is not leaning into that idea but instead is upholding the samurai honor code as like the end-all be-all of of like goodness which i which is where i find it to be problematic um but yeah but, i mean i just wanted yeah. to bring that up because i think even in pop culture like the root of the samurai as like this hero is is usually a samurai that is rejecting the the class structure yeah um the same way like uh weirdly <laughs> i find this stuff all linked but like you think of something like rambo right like that first <laughs> uh-huh. that yeah. first movie was was very anti-war and was not what yeah. it ended up becoming later on. So I think sometimes like the root of pop culture icons is often like a much more uh, like it become it be- they become characters of themselves and you lose what like the elements that make the character popular are lost uh, or are like taken. But the root of the character is lost in, in attempts to replicate that. Uh. So like. You know, the the idea of of making a like watching a samurai film, like that was so cool. I want to make a version of that. Um, but forgetting the context of like this is a samurai that is that is considered like the ultimate outcast in the structure of samurai. Yes. But you're you're assuming that that is what samurai are. Right. Um, and I mean, I don't want to like be too harsh on sort of the path of inspiration where it's like you can you can watch something or experience something and be inspired by elements of it and carry that in a different direction. But this yeah. game is about samurai. So it's like you kind of have to do the research <laughs> if you're like trying to, you know, pull this off. Um, yes. So yes. I think that's where it seems to miss the mark a bit. It it has it has big um cyberpunk energy. I don't know if you saw that thing about about cyberpunk where um like one of the developers was naming two characters and was trying to name them um to be like a fun play on left or right because it was it was uh it's two bot like two cyborg bodies that are uh controlled by the same brain technically like they're linked together um and and uh the the developer wanted them to be uh like I don't know, kind of like a fun wordplay on duality or something. And then looked up the um, the words for left or right in Portuguese and then named them left and right, but in Portuguese. But because he used Google Translate to do it, uh, it translated the word right to actually be correct. So their names are left and correct when translated, which like <laughs> is exactly that, you know, it's like yeah. exactly that. Like that is the haiku system in this game. Um, and then if you want to go even deeper into it, you can listen to the most recent Waypoint episode about this game where Austin Walker, who has like studied haiku and is like actually like a like a literary critic goes into why none of these are actually even haikus in the first place. Like they actually get the idea of haiku wrong, um, which is, you know, as far down that rabbit hole as you feel like going. Um, suffice to say that that kind of um, like cherry picking of Japanese culture is very much prevalent in this game. Um and and all of that to say, you can still recognize all of that stuff and find goodness in here. And I have played, yeah. like I said, like tens and tens of hours of this game and have now, as of this morning, done every single thing possible on the first part of the map. 
um, and have not even moved on to the second part of the map yet. So there's still a lot of game left for me to play here, but um, I'm I'm enjoying it a lot despite its uh, many, many flaws. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's absolutely right. And we talk about that a lot, too, of like you can still enjoy a piece of media despite like harshly critiquing elements of it. I, I am honestly excited to check it out eventually. My plan is to kind of wait for it to be on sale uh, near the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Play it on the I, PS5. I think it's I think it sounds like you said, oh, that's actually a good idea, too. You said you want to be part of something. And I think that, like, at the very least, this is something that is generating a lot of, of worthwhile discussion. You know, talking yeah. about, like, what is the line? Uh, like, I-, I think there could be a game that is, you know, inspired by Samurai that, like, doesn't have to necessarily, like, interrogate the actual concrete history of the Samurai. But it sounds like this game is doing that accidentally in moments. And so the tone is confused yes. we're like you yeah. know are you are you committing to just sort of like i guess campy you know like just campy recreation of like what you think this genre is or is it like actually looking at it and i yeah. think i think the by very nature of the setting being in japan and it being so predominantly like seeking to emulate like japanese like film and and culture like i think they they could have done a much better job in like researching and and like actually emulating that that was the intention yeah absolutely yeah, yeah I, I totally agree i mean yeah that that kind of confusion is prevalent in so many areas as i've described right there's there's that side of things with with the samurai and the honor code and what that means but then there's also like the actual like mechanic confusion of telling you narratively it's bad to do ninja shit and then give you an entire skill tree of ninja shit you know like it's yeah. what, there's like a wild dichotomy between those those two uh narratives there um but i mean at the end of the day really like my my fucking back of the box like nonsense about it is just it's literally the assassin's creed set in japan that everyone has asked for since assassin's creed 2 came out and people realized all of these games were going to be set in different time periods and places and everybody said wouldn't it be cool if you did one in japan well it sounds like sucker punch heard that and realized that ubisoft was never going to do it and then decided to do it themselves and if that sounds interesting to you this game is very successful like this game is that like to a T and fucking nails it, sticks that landing perfectly. But in terms of all the other stuff it's trying to do, it's very confused. Um, but there is still a lot to love within it. And I'm going to play the shit out of it. And I'm excited for you to play it, too, because I think <laughs> I think honestly you will like it. I mean, I didn't even get into a lot of stuff mechanically, like about the way the combat works in general. Um, like you are going to love it because it's it's essentially like Sekiro with a parry system and all that kind of stuff. But like boiled down to its barest element and is less crushingly difficult. Um, yeah. So you do have that power fantasy moment every once in a while where it's like you do a perfect parry on every single guy of the five guys in this Mongol base, you know, um, and like doing a parry will sometimes like terrify one of the other guys. So he'll immediately like drop his weapon and run away from you, you know, because like you're so horrific and formidable. Um, like those moments are so thrilling every once in a while for big boss battles they'll do a thing where um, they do like the very Kurosawa like um, you hear the like flute and then you see the close-ups of the two of them like holding their swords like getting ready to draw Um, and then you do a one-on-one battle which was actually it was my I mean we can go way back to uh, when I was talking about the most recent Star Wars game with uh, Jedi Fallen Order Um, but those are my favorite moments of Jedi Fallen Order were the one-on-one lightsaber battles I mean that happens constantly in this game where every 
boss fight is that. And there are a lot of boss fights uh, where you have these one-on-one samurai battles. And one of the first ones I did, I was following, um, I I met a musician in the woods who was telling this tale of like a fabled, uh, like a fabled bow that like an old samurai from like hundreds of years ago had used to like wipe out an entire army of invaders by himself. And they were like, well, it doesn't exist. But if you're interested in it, like you can go like follow this path and like see kind of the the history of this. And over the course of that, you find out that it's a real thing and you can like go pick it up. And it leads you all the way to the top of this mountain where you fight a you fight a guy who is like a a rejected and and, um, disgraced samurai who's like left the code uh, behind and you have to fight him on a mountaintop and it's like a thunder and lightning storm and as soon as it begins like you know you have you have the moment where like the flute is playing they're both like holding their swords and then they both like get into the stance to get ready to fight and the tree behind you gets struck by lightning and explodes into fire and there's lightning and wind and like uh like like leaves flying all over the place and this huge burning tree behind you and it is like so fucking triple a michael bay blockbuster like not kurosawa <laughs> literally at all and is like one of my favorite moments of the whole game still um are those moments where it's like oh when you're doing your own thing and not trying to be something else this game fucking rips always yeah yeah um so yeah, I mean there there is so much to love in here, which is why I'm very excited for you to play it. I think I think you're gonna have a really good time with it. Cool, I'm excited for it to be on sale. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I I, I uh, I'm I'm pumped to check it out. My logic is like, okay, if I'm gonna spend sixty dollars, like I I either yeah. need to be like needing to play it on launch or it's a nintendo game that will never go on sale uh yes yeah i mean look i i like i said at the beginning the only reason i picked this game up is because it was the last playstation 4 exclusive and i was really curious what that was gonna be oh yeah you know what what is this game that sony has decided is going to be that it's swan song you know famously shadow of the colossus was that for ps2 uh last of us was that for ps3 um and now it's ghost of tsushima for ps4 which i don't think stands up to the other two that i just mentioned um, <laughs> maybe not but it's still a very interesting game to end their generation on i think yeah um yeah. that's actually a brilliant uh, just real quick though like i i was thinking about shadow of the colossus in terms of the idea of what is the who does the hero see himself as what are they trying to do and what's actually happening yeah. Um, and Shadow of the Colossus goes like explores that in a very intentional way that I think is really brilliant. Yeah. Um uh so you know, maybe we'll talk about that another time. Ooh. Um but yeah, sounds cool. Wanna take a break and then come back? I would love to take a break. I need so much water. I'm gonna go to the nearest Starbucks TM and say, Hey, do you have a sandwich that is diced eggs <laughs> with arugula? Oh, I also do want to mention really quick that this has been a great game for um, turning the music off in and then turning on Spotify on the PS4 and just wandering uh, around and listening to my own I music, which is my, what I used to do in No Man's Sky. And uh, now oh, I'm doing yeah. this game. I did that with Overwatch. I would my like. Yeah. I don't know why it was my chill out game, but I would play random heroes on arcade and put on Spotify. Incredible. Highly recommend. <laughs> uh, at least, you know, I did that in like 2017. I had a great time. Uh, yeah i imagine it's still fun okay time for egg salad <laughs> goodbye mm, i can't wait to eat a bad breath <laughs> all right see ya brendan we're taking a break but we wanted to uh really quickly touch on the latest xbox event uh, i think you have some <laughs> hot new takes on exo machina the latest game <laughs> 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 i'm kidding no, no shade on exo machina but like 
for some reason that game announcement is like it, it is like true e- oh, neutral personified. It's called Exomecha, which is maybe even worse. I think I was like that trailer stung for some reason because like for a second I'm like, holy shit, is this Titanfall three? And then it like totally wasn't. And I was yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. You you I think like. I was going to say famously, I don't know, famously in my mind now and probably forever, <laughs> turned on the Xbox event, saw them announce a game called Exomecha and then turned it back off and you were like, you can tell me about it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, this sums up how I go into every Microsoft event where I'm like excited and I'm really into like seeing what they're doing. I want to be pumped for their side of it. And then something like Exomecha is announced and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm yeah. good. So... Look, I I talked a lot last week about um, the Xbox and next generation and and <laughs> kind of my my philosophy on on what they're doing, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think I, think I was, was laughing because you're setting this up like it's going to be a big apology. Like, look, I said some <laughs> so things sorry. about Phil Project Spencer got on stage and <laughs> said some things I can't get behind. Um, no, I uh, yeah, they they uh, they have some really interesting stuff going on with next gen. I, totally. I think the focus on Game Pass is really fascinating and continues to be yes. really fascinating. I think it's gamesindustry.biz or whatever that website is. They're great. <laughs> They're incredible. I always just forget yeah. the name of the website, the actual URL. But they they just wrote an article recently that was like the console wars are over because all three players are trying to accomplish different things in next yeah. gen. Yeah. Which I th- I think is a really great like one sentence way of kind of like distilling everything I said for forty five minutes last week into one <laughs> sentence, which is why they're writing for a website called GamesIndustry.biz. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think I think this event, like although maybe underwhelming for some and like exciting for others, uh, really just goes to show like Game Pass is their focus more than anything because like they announced a ton of stuff and literally all of it is going to be available on Game Pass, which I think is like huge. I mean that that's yeah. that, that's an unbelievable deal. Um, and and not even to mention like the X Cloud side of things, which they didn't even talk about at all in the event, which I was really surprised by. Um, but like if all of these games are not only available on Game Pass, but also playable via xCloud, then like next gen f- for Microsoft is not about you buying a box at all, which like last week I was talking about how like they still want to sell you a box, probably. Right. They're 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 going to say like, hey, if you want if you want to play these games the best way you possibly can, you should spend the money and get a Series X. But it's really more about like getting you involved in their subscription service, which I think is uh, really interesting. And like some of the some of the stuff they showed looked, I don't know, pretty cool. Like so, for example, uh, one of the one of my favorite announcements, Dragon Quest Eleven S Echoes of Elusive Age Definitive Edition is no longer a Switch exclusive uh, and it's going to be on PC and Xbox and PS4 or sorry, and, and maybe PS5, but definitely PS4. Um, but specifically, it's going to be on Game Pass. So like this game, which slowly is becoming one of my favorite games of all time, if not my favorite game of all time, is going to be available to everybody who pays seven dollars a month for Game Pass, which like yeah. fucking sick. Like that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, I'm really excited because I I have I have a like I have all my 360 games. My 360 is like it it is morally unethical to turn that thing on in in my house. <laughs> it is so on death's door. Yeah. That I, but I would love to revisit Mass Effect and Oblivion and you know like not to mention like original Xbox games like Jet Set Radio Future. Yeah. Um, which uh, I don't even I, I don't think it was the Microsoft event, but they announced that um a different developer team is making like a very yeah i forget what know, that game is called similar. it looks exactly like jet set radio yeah but i'm so excited for it it's basically like the idea that okay this series is probably never gonna be made again let's just do it and yeah. i i think that's great i'm yeah. so excited for that 
Absolutely. Anyway, that aside. Um, yeah, so Dragon Quest XI S, Echoes of Elusive Age Definitive Edition <laughs> for the Nintendo Switch and for Xbox Game Pass. So that, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine that's the new title? That is <laughs> for Nintendo letters. Switch yeah. for Xbox Game Pass? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the episode uh, title, by the way, for this for this week's episode. Perfect. I love it. Um, yeah. So so that, that's cool. But then there's some other stuff. So like talking about like third party stuff that's going to be available on Game Pass. So here's the thing. They said up front or maybe at the end, every game shown today is going to be available for Xbox Game Pass. They showed more stuff from Watch Dogs Legion, which makes me think that that game is going to be on Game Pass at some point, which is kind of interesting because I, I have no interest really in checking that game out anymore after seeing the Ubisoft event personally. But like... If it's on Game Pass, I will definitely just download it and check it out. Like I have no I have no qualms against that. But the biggest thing for me as far as third party stuff available on Game Pass was Destiny 2 uh, is in the process of reworking the entire game. So like they're removing like the entire campaign and like a ton of content in a in an effort to kind of like streamline the thing to make it like more amenable to new players. So the new player experience is better, but also just like remove the bloat from it because they're trying to keep up so many systems and mechanics and like raids and and uh, and and playable events and things like that, that like it's become so unwieldy that they just can't keep up all of it at the same time and make it all worthwhile so they're redoing the whole game essentially and that thing when it's done is going to be available on game pass um with all of the expansions included oh, wow. for free which like is wild that rules it's not as good as the stadia deal which also gets you the season pass if you're playing it on stadia like every season um you can also get the season pass which is like essentially their version of like a battle pass but also includes some content and stuff so like there is some stuff you're still gonna have to pay for but like you get the whole thing for free with all the expansions that you're not gonna have to pay for which is pretty sick so i don't know for me i'm now more interested in playing destiny 2 and like taking my save from ps4 and moving it over to xbox especially given like if that thing shows up on game cloud sorry on on x cloud and i can like log in and like check a bounty from my pc or my mac or my phone you know and like pair a pair a controller to my phone and like check in on destiny 2 real quick to like get a thing from a merchant or something like that's really cool. That's a really cool way to play that game um, that doesn't involve me sitting on my couch and turning my PS4 <laughs> on, you know? I love the idea of, of turning a, like, RPG go-to-the-marketplace event into a mobile game. Like, that's just, like, I just do all yeah. my shopping on my phone. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm actually surprised. I mean, this is a completely wild tangent, but, like, I've, I've always been really surprised that uh, the official Destiny mobile app doesn't allow you to, like, log in and buy stuff. Because you're, you're logging into your Bungie account and like it has all your characters and all of your like items and gear and currencies tied to your account it's weird that you can't like tap on a merchant that is only available for like a couple hours and like buy a thing from them yeah um, didn't splatoon do that splatoon did do that the fact that yeah. nintendo did that and bungie has is, not is yeah. wild to me <laughs> every like every eighth decision nintendo makes is like brilliant <laughs> with, with their online stuff and the rest is like so bizarre yeah anyway that's stuff that's stuff that that is old. That's old stuff. Let's talk about new stuff. Hey, you. What's Let's the talk new about game? news? Everybody knows that Into the Aether, a Loki video game podcast, is all about the hot and ready news. I almost that's isn't it Little Caesars motto about their pizza? <laughs> hot and ready? Into the Aether is all about when you're here, your family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of all the old stuff. Let's talk about the new stuff. There's a new Olive Garden in the O'Hare Airport. Are you excited or what? <laughs> I can't wait to pull out my phone at the macaroni grill in O'Hare and, and buy a, a new helmet from my uh, warlock. <laughs> 
Flight is delayed, no problem. I'm at the macaroni grill in O'Hare and I'm on the Splatoon app talking to my friends via voice chat. <laughs> I just bought Ray Bands that make my grenade reload faster. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so that's the, that's the new stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it's it's the macaroni grill. Um, <laughs> what a bizarre place. Anyway. I, <laughs> um okay so some stuff that i think is is worth touching on at least so i think i don't know if this is i i, I might have gotten this wrong but i don't think i did microsoft bought the developer that made the tetris effect uh which was mm. a psvr exclusive originally um and is now making its way to other consoles but i think i think microsoft bought them uh so now they're making a multiplayer version of the tetris effect called tetris effect connected uh which is kind of cool a lot of people have talked a lot about how great tetris effect is i still have not played it and like really want to and like probably will this year um that was like one of the games that you and i talked about regretting not playing last year because it was on so yeah. many people's lists and like we totally missed it and i'm a big yeah, tetris totally. fan so i still don't know why i haven't played it but i'll get to it eventually so that's kind of cool i thought that was interesting um state of decay 3 was the thing that was announced um that's a game that a lot of people were excited about but the stuff that i was actually excited about which i should probably go into so psychonauts 2 looks great um they had jack black jack black is in it he essentially is like your your navi from from ocarina of time essentially he just kind of like floats around and like tells you things that you should do and like sing songs <laughs> <laughs> um, which is hilarious. Uh, I'm very Amazing. into that. Honestly, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Psychonauts 2 is looking better and better and better every time they show it. And I'm really glad that it's happening. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Too. I love the first Psychonauts so much. I don't think I've really talked about that a lot on the show. I think that's like honestly a thing that we should probably do a bonus episode on eventually. Especially oh, totally, yeah. before Psychonauts 2 comes out. Because... Um, Man, would I love to revisit that game. I, I yeah. am such a huge fan. And Psychonauts 2, I was a little bit worried about and I'm becoming less worried about, which is like a very rare thing, I think, in video games is is uh, you're worried about a thing and you become less worried as they show more of it. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. Um, one of the things that I think you in particular are going to be really excited about that I am very intrigued by is so so Microsoft bought Obsidian. So, you know, they're working on more stuff for Outer Worlds, which is exciting, I guess. I, I have not revisited that game since you and I talked about it originally. Um, I know you have, but they're releasing more stuff. But the more important thing, I think, is that they're working on another game that they that they uh, introduced as like their next big expansive fantasy RPG. And it's called Avowed. And vibe wise, it seems like Obsidian is just like, well, Bethesda is taking forever to make the next Elder Scrolls. So we're just going to do it first. Yeah. Which like. Yeah thrilling to me i love that idea like please i you and i love elder scrolls like why it's kind of like the animal crossing problem that i bring up all the time like why aren't more people just doing animal crossing like that game is so wildly successful it's amazing to me that everybody isn't trying to rip off animal crossing all the time it's amazing to me that people aren't always trying to make elder scrolls games you know yeah um yeah I mean, and, and when they do, it's Breath of the Wild, right? Like, Ionuma was like, I love Skyrim, and I'm going to turn Zelda into Skyrim, and made Breath of the Wild. So I like, was going to say, I think I think Skyrim has had, like, in a lot of ways, like, every open-world AAA game since then has been, like, trying to emulate that. Um, yeah. But I think for different, and, and I think uh, you and I wanted to maybe revisit Skyrim in the, in the future, maybe for some streams. Um, but, <laughs> stop doing that. I uh, but um the Skyrim is this really really delicate balance between like streamlined open world game and still very much a uh, a uh 
classic RPG. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's just streamlined enough that like you have less esoteric stuff that you did in Oblivion where like, you know, there are eight different uh, types of magic and like, you know, you, you really defined who your character was when you made them and you chose their astrological sign and everything. Mm-hmm. Like Skyrim is like designed to be like, okay, I, I, when you play it, you get better and you get better at the things you do. Yeah. Um, but as someone who was very into RPGs, there was still enough meat there that, that it didn't feel like it totally went into like a sort of generic AAA formula. But I think a lot of games that try to emulate Skyrim end up maybe falling a little bit more into that. Anyway, going back to Obsidian, I think, I mean, I liked Outer Worlds a lot. I, I finished it. Uh, I enjoyed my time with it. But you and I are more, way more Elder Scrolls fans than Fallout. Yes. Um, and I think uh, it'll be interesting because Obsidian had direct experience with the Fallout series. They did, you know... Uh, New Vegas. New Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and they've also done a lot of sequels to big series. You know, they, they did Knights of the Old Republic too. So this will be their, I, I think their first like big foray into fantasy. So I'm really curious to see what that looks like. But yeah, I'm, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I mean, the, the thing is, and and kind of the constant problem, I think, with a lot of Xbox showings is that it was just a CG trailer. You know, there was like no actual gameplay there. Yeah. Um, but there was a moment where it goes into first person briefly and there's like a person holding a sword and they have like a spell in their left hand. And it was like, OK, yeah. so you're just doing Elder Scrolls. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Great. Yeah. It will be really fascinating to see, too, because Obsidian Strength, as evidenced with New Vegas and with Outer Worlds, I think is obviously their writing. And also the the mission of Outer Worlds to me was sort of like not only in its like anti-corporate plot. But also this idea of like, we can make a game feel big, even though it isn't. Yes. Uh, You know, for the scale of games like that, it's a pretty short game, but there's a ton of variables. All your actions feel really important. And, And even though there are a finite number of settings that are all very different and they're all very purposeful that you get this sense of a big galaxy. Yeah. I wonder... With Elder Scrolls, it's always kind of been like, as much as I love Skyrim and and as much as I love Oblivion and, you know, Morrowind, I, other than maybe the certain characters in Morrowind, I can't tell you like a character from those games. They've never <laughs> really been memorably written. It's more about the setting and, and getting swept up in the setting than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I think with Obsidian, they're, they're much more character focused and much more dialogue focused. So I'm like, what does Elder Scrolls look like? When suddenly there's an emphasis on writing. And is that even their mission with this? Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. One of the things that might be actually a strength of the Elder Scrolls franchise uh, writ large is just the idea of passivity. Like the idea that like you as the player character, you have an impact on the world via the storylines you're doing, but they don't ripple out literally in any way. You know, like the big goof about Skyrim specifically is like you could be the leader of the Dark Brotherhood, the leader of the Thieves Guild, the leader of or like the the um the fucking Dumbledore at the Mages College and like all of these things <laughs> and nobody will mention it ever or care you know yeah um, there'll you, be there'll be some lines by the guards every now and then but it's it's not felt in a big way the same way it is in Fallout or Outer Worlds um, yeah it doesn't change anything right really and and I imagine it probably would in an Obsidian version of that kind of game yeah and I think the strength of the passivity of the Elder Scrolls is this idea that like I actually really the, the, the my big gripe with Skyrim weirdly is the fact that you always have to be the Dragonborn like <laughs> yeah I like the idea that in Oblivion uh, even though I dunked on the main quest earlier in Oblivion you are kind of the the Virgil to the actual hero like you are the mm-hmm. guide to uh is it Sean Bean yes I think it is Sean uh, Bean yeah you guide Sean Bean and turn into a dragon to save the day yeah um 
And, you know, so I think that that lends itself really well to the role playing because, you know, you can be whoever you want, independent of what quests you've done. Uh, and I think that Oblivion and Skyrim are very kind of hands off in that way because they want you to fill in the blanks. Like They want you to, in the quiet moments of just like being in the wilderness and going to towns to kind of write who your character is. I think Oblivion did that better because like when you level up, there's that like D&D character journal talking about like your growth as a character. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that game is so hands off that like, you have <laughs> to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really curious to see what Obsidian will do. And, and I hope that like they, they don't reel in their strengths too far back to simply emulate Elder Scrolls, but rather like really add their, their charm to it. Cause I think that a, Elder Scrolls game with better writing would be like incredible. That would be amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Yeah, I, I'm excited for that. I was kind of that was the one moment I think in the entirety of the event that I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Like totally. That's that's very much up my alley. Um, I mean, th- there was an announcement like. The other one that should have elicited that response for me was the last thing that they announced, which was a new Fable game, which like I love the Fable games. I don't know if we've like literally ever talked about them, um, but I'm a huge fan of the Fable games. They they are all wildly flawed. All three of them are trying to do extremely different things. A lot of them fail at a lot of the things they're trying to do. I mean, talk about like judging a game by its intention and then judging what it also actually is by accident. And like generally those (laughs) games are accidentally great and not on purpose. Great. Yeah, I've only played Fable 2 and I I enjoyed it up until a point. I, I, I found it like when I played that game, it was the same year as Oblivion. Uh, I found it to be like... Oh, yeah, it was. Wow. I, rem- I remember my first feeling playing Fable 2 was like... And this, this is not like trying to be gatekeeper or anything, but I was like, this feels like a really good gateway game into RPGs. Like, I feel like mm, Fable yeah. 2, at least at the time, felt like, okay, if, you, if you're interested in getting into RPGs, you maybe check out Fable 2. And if you dig that, then you might like Elder Scrolls, you know? Yeah. The wild thing is that Fable 2 is weirdly a good gateway game into Fable 1, which is more of like a traditional RPG in that way. Yeah. I should check that out one day. Because yeah, Fable 2 was like... The the point I always bump into is that there's not not to spoil Fable 2 during the break, uh, <laughs> but there's a point where you go up against like the main antagonist who has been set up for the whole game, who pushed you and your dog out of like a Dickensian tower, mm-hmm. uh, and the whole game is trying to get back at him while he's giving this like grandiose like uh you know villain speech. You can attack him during it and he dies in one hit or one of your companions just goes like, I'm bored of this and shoots him. Yeah, he dies. And like, that's literally how the game ends. (laughs) Uh, Uh I was baffled. I was like, that's it. That's like if you played FF7, you went up against Sephiroth and Red 13 sneezed on him and he died. What Um, the fuck? Yeah, that's kind of what anyway. I'm talking about with those games. And that's why I'm yeah. like very interested in whatever this new thing is, because it's not Peter Molyneux. It's not Lionhead Studios. It's a new studio oh, okay. taking over the franchise and trying to make a new game. Um, and the logo that showed up on screen just said Fable. It didn't have any number. It didn't have a subtitle. So I'm I'm wondering, is this a remaster of the original for, you know, Series X? Or is this like a reboot of the franchise in the way that like a God of War was kind of a reboot? Um, like what what is it that they're trying to do with this game? Um, because all we saw was, a again, a cinematic cutscene, which 
I think was a direct ripoff of a scene in Shrek, I think, where <laughs> there's a fairy that's flying around. Tell me if this rings any bells for you, because I know you didn't watch the actual thing. But there's a fairy that's flying around and there's like this mystical, <laughs> magical music. And it's like so beautiful watching this fairy kind of like exploring a, a beautiful mystery world. Um, and then a frog shoots its tongue out and eats the fairy. Doesn't that happen in Shrek? I, I couldn't tell you, but like that sounds very Shrek-esque. I know? think it happens in Shrek. And my worst fear is that what I'm actually remembering is that it does happen in Shrek, but it's Shrek 4D at Universal Studios, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> Because that does seem like something that would I mean, be in 3D. The beginning of Shrek is just him like kind of batting away the fantastic, right? Like he's refusing the yes. call of adventures. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I could not tell you. Anyway, that uh, was the, that was the entirety of the Fable announcement, which is why <laughs> I, a big Fable fan, should have been like, oh man, this is exciting. And now I'm just like, please tell me literally anything about it beyond yeah. it exists. But anyway, back to things that I think you'll be excited about specifically. I, I think I think there's two things left on that list. One of them is um, that there is a game by Yuji Naka who made uh, Knights and I think worked on a bunch of the Sonic stuff um, who is working on a new game uh, with Square Enix. Square Enix, I think, is going to publish the thing. Um, that's called Ballin Wonderworld. That is like so your shit that um, <laughs> like I'm gonna need you to go watch the trailer at some point and and check it out. But like it it's it's just this like extremely wildly art directed game about um some people who like get sucked into um like a fantastical like theater like musical theater performance. That's like also, I think, a platforming action RPG. Uh, it's so it's so your jam. <laughs> like I, yeah, I feel I, responsible for it somehow. Honestly, <laughs> I, I think you're I think you're going to be excited about it. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. I love and, that. And then the last thing that I think you're going to be really stoked about that I I am so thrilled by, but I need again need to know anything about. But like it's it's one of the <laughs> only times I think in in the announcements of next gen stuff so far where I've seen a fully CG trailer with no gameplay and been like this fucking owns and I want it right now um yeah. and it's the new game by rare called everwild which seems to me like they've learned a lot of lessons from sea of thieves which is a game that has like no real concrete like plot or narrative or anything but is really just like a hang out with your friends on a pirate ship simulator and like go like loot some stuff and like kind of i don't know almost destiny adjacent like make your equipment and gear go up a notch you know just by playing um kind of like has that has that element to it um everwild seems to be if I had to guess, based on what I saw, um, it's a game about you and your friends exploring like a big fantasy world and like helping huge, furry, adorable monsters using magic. And that's kind yeah. of that's kind of all I know about it. And, <laughs> and I think the thing that really stuck out to me, um, especially based on like a lot of the conversations you and I had about Last of Us Part Two is like there was no combat in this at all in this trailer like there there was no sense that there was any kind of antagonist or or enemy that you needed to fight it was literally just like four people wandering through a mystical place checking out like a huge frog and like helping them out and making them like feel happy like that that's was amazing like, that was yeah. the whole vibe and i'm so into it it's called everwild yeah it looks beautiful i mean obviously you know strong breath of the wild influence here but like uh rare has always been really good at least in their <clears> heyday <throat> of making incredible worlds like i think banjo kazooie is just like a flex of setting design yeah you know totally like, absolutely um and and i think that you know there, there have been a lot of games exploring 
the idea of violence in games and questioning the necessity of violence in games. But I think there has yet to be an open world game that truly exists without that. Like Death Stranding is a game that's all about like kind of showing you like there could be an open world game that's just doing the most basic shit and it's still really fun somehow. Yeah. But but violence exists as a threat kind of around it. Right. And like, you do get a gun eventually in that game. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's exploring the weight of that literally. But also, yeah. you know, it, it is it is a game that is trying to be without violence even though um uh, and that's actually very interesting it's like the, the 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 threat of that game is having to resort to violence in some ways mm. um yeah. so i think that an open world game that is truly just about the setting and exploring w- would be a really incredible thing i mean breath of the wild you know has really fun combat but i think the things that people point to for that game being great are, are largely everything else yeah, um, totally. You know, like I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with the combat and it doesn't get in the way of the game at all. But I think that what does that game look like? What what does a game look like when there isn't that? Um, I don't think it would necessarily. I mean, I think Breath of the Wild is is very specific in the combat and it pays off. But I would love to see a game that truly tries to showcase like what if there was none of that? And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, and, and how can we replace the... Because I think the reason so many games have some type of combat is because, like, there needs to be something to overcome. And it's a very, like, immediately readable scenario. Like, okay, I have yeah. to survive. You right. know? Like, uh, it goes back to Kojima's theory of, like, everything is ropes or sticks, you know? Yes. Uh, which you will... <laughs> I thought that was a really brilliant quote at first, but then you play three hours of Death Stranding and they're like, you know, ropes and sticks are a metaphor. <laughs> like, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it would be cool to see, like, what you could replace that central mechanic with instead, but have the same gratification of, like, I overcame an obstacle. Yeah. You know? That's, that's I think, that one of the things that I find most interesting about it is, like, not only is it trying to do that on an individual basis but it seems like at least based on what we saw in the trailer it seems like it's going to be a multiplayer experience in like in the same vein as a sea of thieves potentially so like what is it what does it look like when there's like a hundred people exploring this open world together not fighting each other but instead trying to like help others or like help these big fucking beasts that is a fascinating idea um, and, yeah. and reminds me a little bit of Sky, that that game company game that you and I checked out, um, which was trying yeah. to do a similar thing, right? Which was like all about exploration and and um, and there was a complete lack of combat in that game. It was literally about working together with others to like see more of the place. That game, I think, fell down in other ways that are largely like microtransaction based. Um, yeah, bizarrely. Yeah. But I mean, if Rare is trying to attempt this with Everwild, I'm kind of inclined to at least like give them the better for the doubt that they would not make this thing without it being like compelling. Totally. I, I mean, it's it's interesting you brought up Sky because my first thought in terms of a multiplayer experience, it's all about helping each other was Journey. That's sort of like a micro view mm-hmm. of what that could look like. Yes. So I, I think if, if that's what they're building the whole game around, I can't imagine it wouldn't be compelling, at least conceptually. Yeah. So, I mean, just it, it is a I'm looking at screenshots here and it is a beautiful game. It is yes. so stunning. Yeah. So I, I'm excited for that for sure. Yeah. Um, no date on that. Also, no date on, I think, anything or most things. 
<laughs> that were announced in this event, yeah. which is kind of a bummer. But um, the big thing is that they're all going to be on Game Pass. Like every game that they talked about is going to be on Game Pass, and that that by itself, I think, is is a really uh, a, a really strong point to be made for Microsoft, like not really caring as much about the box as much as they do. Like we just want you to play our stuff, uh, which is cool. Especially if uh, what I was talking about last week ends up also being true, which is this idea that like games don't need to be a hundred hours. You know, like you can make a smaller experience and like that's that's the big Game Pass game of the month, you know, and the next month there's another big Game Pass game of the month and like it'll take you, you know, a week to play it. And then, you know, you hang out and another thing comes out kind of like Netflix with um, their own productions. I mean, the one the one elephant in the room with this conversation is Halo Infinite, which we haven't talked about at all. And I kind of almost don't even want to talk about at all. Um, I, I'm i a big Halo fan. I played all of them. Uh, I really liked 5. I think a lot more than most people. I played a shitload of 5, but uh, Halo Infinite did like absolutely nothing for me personally. Yeah. Um, which was kind of a kind of a bummer, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm completely neutral on Halo. Like, I've enjoyed it in passing. And I'm like, especially during the show, I, I live for nothing more than to go into a game neutral and, and come out the other side like, oh, that was actually great. Yes. So, like, I, I'm, I'm invested in, like, all these games being good. Yeah, uh, I think there is yeah. a very strong chance that you and I will play Halo Infinite just because it'll be on Game Pass at launch. I, yeah. I foresee a situation in which you and I have some way of playing Xbox games um, or Game Pass games in general. And when Halo Halo Infinite comes out, you and I are like, whatever, we'll just like check it out. Um, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I'll check it out when it comes out. I mean, it's this year. It's going to be one of the biggest releases of the year. Um, I'm sure I'll check it out at launch. But um, yeah, it's it's very it was that was a very confusing showing for them. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I can't just like touch on it. I should probably dig into it even a little bit. But like the big thing seems to be that it's Halo, but it's an open world game. Um, kind of like Ghost of Tsushima in a weird way, like seems to be following more of the Assassin's Creed Ubisoft open world game side of things where like there's a big map with a bunch of waypoints on it and you go to those waypoints and there's missions there or like side quests or things like that where i bump up against it based on what they showed seems to be that like the real innovation in this game is like drive your warthog to the waypoint and then play halo you know like like you, you drive from point a to point b and then you like get a gun and you shoot grunts and brutes and and covenant you know and like that's it which like you've been doing that since the first game like even the first game had like big open environments that you were driving yeah. warthogs around you know like just because that wasn't an open world doesn't mean that that's not what halo has kind of always been and like making it an open world i don't think changes it in a real meaning way personally like I, I didn't see i didn't see any justification for it being an open world it seems to be just like a thing that they can say that it is um and i and i don't want to put words in developers mouths or intention in the developers game because like i haven't played it but like i'm just basing this off of what i saw in their big marketing unveil of halo infinite gameplay which is that master chief has a warthog and can drive around and now he also has a, a grappling hook that he can use to climb things which like those two things are not getting me excited about the newest Halo game, you know? <laughs> right, right. After five of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. One, one of the things about that game that I think is interesting is it seems to be very purposefully trying to harken back to uh, the original Halo 
in in like design sensibility and and just like art direction which like there's a lot of discourse on the internet right now about like that game not looking super stellar um which you and i have talked about off the show a little bit as like xbox is really aiming for 4k 60 frames per second which like maybe is shooting themselves in the foot a little bit in terms of like actual fidelity of that environment but all of that said, like, it is interesting to me that all of the marketing material and all the like images that have been released look a lot like Halo 1, but in 4K, which um, makes me think that this to them is like trying to do what Pokemon does constantly, which is like, do you remember how good Red and Blue was when it was the 90s? Like, what if we made that game, but it looked amazing now? You know, yeah, that seems to be the Pokemon company's MO. Like uh, Pokemon Go is a great example where you could only get the Pokemon from Red and Blue in that initial release of Pokemon Go, which like was a direct shot at people our age who played Red and Blue back in the day. Halo Infinite seems to be like it's trying to do the same thing. But for Halo, where it's like, oh, yeah, did you play Halo in high school or in college or something like guess what? There's another one and now it's an open world and it, it, it plays exactly like you remember, but uh, but it's new and it's on the new Xbox and that's the only way you can play it, which like I get the impulse there from a marketing perspective, but I don't know if that's going to like sell me on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, as someone with like very little nostalgia for it, you know, I'm just sort of I'm really <laughs> totally true neutral. Yeah, yeah. Floating um, as a space baby above the hype <laughs> watching it. <laughs> Yeah. Again, I will probably check it out, but uh, was not very thrilled by what I saw. That said, I do know that there are press events happening right now or soon where people will be seeing like real extended gameplay, um, like cool. like over an hour of it. So I think we're going to get a lot of um, interesting preview coverage of that game soon, which will be hopefully better than the eight minute gameplay demo I, I watched uh, the other day. Anyway, that's yeah. it for Xbox. <laughs> That's Xbox. I mean, overall, like as we recounted, I am, I am excited for at least like I'm very excited for at least two or three things. Yeah, and I am excited for Game Pass. Like I think that's not a hot take. It's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how that like if that's enough to to like keep me following Microsoft. You know? Yeah, uh, I think it is. Honestly, I think it's going to be because I think the very nature of like you just said multiple times. Like, I may not get this game on launch, but I would definitely just check it out because what do I have to lose? Yeah, if I can just, you know, check it out on a on a service like Netflix. That's a very fascinating way to experience games. It's a really powerful thing, man. And and like, honestly, I mean, just looking at the stuff that is available on Game Pass literally right now, I mean, already it's a it's a bizarrely incredible deal. There's so much stuff yeah. on here that like you personally would love to play like right now. Um, and, and, and <laughs> you know me very well. They're, they're constantly, you know, swapping stuff in and out. But at the end of the day, the stuff that is always there are all of the Microsoft exclusives. Um, and it seems like they're really heavily investing in covering all of their bases from gameplay perspectives. Like they, they want to hit every market possible and have all of that available on Game Pass at all times. Um, in the same way, Netflix is like starting to make reality TV shows now, uh, whereas they were generally focused on like prestige drama and narrative stuff um, because Netflix wants to be the hub for everything. Xbox is doing the same thing by investing in buying like 15 different studios over the past couple of years and having them make smaller experiences that will live on Game Pass forever. And I think what that's going to lead to is like more creativity, potentially less focus on uh, on making like hundred hour things, uh, allowing for like hopefully fingers crossed, less crunch in game development. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, we'll be better for consumers and people who play video games, right? Like that, that at the end of the day seems to be what Phil Spencer wants to do is just make video games like a joyous experience from conception to release. Um, and that is a very great philosophy to have in 2020. I, I completely agree. Yeah. 
I'm excited. I'm definitely gonna get Game Pass. I just am wondering what device it's gonna be on. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, uh, you and I talked about this a little bit last night, but I, I think the answer will be if it exists. The like forty dollar Chromecast dongle that you plug into the back of your TV that lets you use XCloud is like probably gonna be the coolest way to do that. If it if it exists, if all those rumors are true and that's a real thing, um, and if not, the like also rumored like two hundred to two fifty dollar version of uh, the next gen stuff, the Series S as as people are calling it colloquially online like if if the xbox series s exists and and the the dongle doesn't like that is such an easy entry point into next gen um that it's like i don't know i'm kind of floored by that it even potentially existing yeah absolutely so i mean they're they're just they're busting down all the barriers in terms of like barrier to entry uh and and cost to get into it Wow, that was a long break. That wasn't even a break. I <laughs> I think I need to take a break after that break. I need more water. <laughs> okay, get some, stay hydrated. I got it. Uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right though. I think, and I honestly too, like it'll just be good for this show to have Game Pass. Like that's also what I'm thinking about. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, we, we like, like really don't talk about Xbox stuff a lot. Uh, but even just the ability to play all that's like you know go back to a random game from the past too, like. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. Yeah, the fact that you'll be able to like if you get a, a, an Xbox, any of them, and you go onto that store and you can download Oblivion and play that like tight. That's that, the goal. That's amazing. I'm honestly more excited to play Oblivion and Mass Effect than I am like any of the new stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, that's not true. I'm excited for the games we brought up. But yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's get some water and uh, go into the end of the episode. OK, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. <All right. laughs> Bye, when you hear your family. Uh, Steven, it, it seems like we've been recording for an extremely long time, so we've decided uh, in post, I guess not post because we're still recording, but we've decided that that last segment was not a break, but is just the segment. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot recently. We're like, just for, you know, a quick little snack. And we're like, oh, much too good for children. Seconds? Thirds? Yeah. Don't mind if I do. I'll take some more. You you were originally going to talk about a game called CrossCode for the Switch, which I think we're going to talk about next week now. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, I am enjoying it greatly. So that's on the horizon. And just a quick elevator pitch would recommend if you're into like old RPGs that take place in a fictional MMO. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, more, more on that <laughs> next week. It is a fascinating framing device. Uh, yeah. But can, wait, can you answer my, my one question about it before please. we talk yeah. about it next week? Like for real, for real? Is the name in any way a reference to Chrono Cross or Chrono Trigger? Like, is that the vibe at all? I mean, uh, the graphics are extremely Chrono Trigger-esque. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I can't help but think possibly. Um, like, it's at least an influence. Yeah, like the music and the presentation are, are like, incredible and, and purposely retro RPG in a way that Chrono Trigger would be. Like, the sprites look like Sick. Chrono Trigger characters. But yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating game. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm still early on, but yeah, we're going to save that for next week and yeah. whatever else comes up. Yeah. I'm going to be playing yeah. Tony Hawk Underground 1. <laughs> you joke, but would lo- that's that that's going to be a bonus episode in like February 2023. Not I as think. much of a joke as you think, my guy. Yeah. I, I actually did <laughs> start playing that game the other day. Um, oh, yeah. Just kind of on a whim. But anyway, uh, that, that's that's not what I'm going to be talking about next week at all. Um, I, I would like to touch on one thing like super quick, just a recommendation because I, I like talking <laughs> about mobile games and whenever they drop. Um, yeah. Zach Gage, who I brought up a million times on this podcast, who makes a lot of my favorite mobile games, released a new one this past week called Good Sudoku, which is <laughs> uh, essentially him just saying, like, I have tried every Sudoku app on the App Store and they're all bad. So I'm going to make the good one. Uh, and he sure fucking did. 
Uh, it is easily the best Sudoku app that exists. Like maybe like will change the way you play that game forever. Um, I used to play Sudoku a lot when I was in high school, weirdly enough, uh, and always found it to be extremely tedious, even though like the thrill of finishing one and actually getting it right was always great. And then the transition to trying to play those via an iPhone was always really frustrating because a lot of apps are not designed, I think, just like well in general, like they make it they make it more difficult to do the things that you like in Sudoku um, and uh, good Sudoku removes all of that friction in a way that I think is like really thrilling and kind of breeds a new life into that game. So I would highly recommend checking it out. It's free. Cool. You can pay three dollars to remove ads if you want to. Um, yeah, cool. That's it. Amazing. That's it. Wow. Um, I'm so talked out. My whole <laughs> body is shutting down. <laughs> you did great. I thought it was cool. I Thank enjoyed you. hearing you talk. Um, <laughs> this is the most I've definitely, uh, I, the, the least active I've been in a while, I think. I'm present when you're talking. I don't want you to think I'm tapping out, taking a quick snooze during your <laughs> during your hot ghost of Sushima takes. We're, we're on um, video. I would know if you were asleep. <laughs> what if I just, like... <laughs> Knocked myself out during like I just want to bring up Halo Infinite <sighs> just like immediately. <laughs> no, it was great though. Uh, I know the feeling of being talked out though. Have you listened to the Final Fantasy episodes? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. This was a lot of fun. We were both excited for some reason. This week felt longer to us, and like uh, I think I had shared this with you off the show. I realized that I think the reason we felt that we were apart for longer than we had been was because we started recording shorter episodes episodes again because there was that week where it was like season two finale season three intro and last of us part two episode which was again collectively longer than games of the decade which collectively is longer than a decade uh (laughs) so you know we were together less but it was really fun being back together and talking about this i'm definitely excited to uh just for the future you know so thank you dear listener for listening if you like the show share with a friend it's the it's the coolest thing to do (laughs) it's the coolest thing it's the easiest way to help the show grow Uh, if you also uh want to review us on apple podcasts also very helpful we have a lovely discord that's super worth joining uh link is in the show notes we've got a twitter patreon uh instagram all in the show notes uh i think you can go to the worst garbage dot online and find links there as well yeah uh same thing with the patreon that we say every week uh if if backing the show puts you to any financial strain please don't we will not take it personally uh but if anyone backs the patreon at all that lets us do bonus episodes that uh are available for everyone we don't want to ever have paywalled content for the show so the the mantra behind the bonus episodes is if we get any support at all uh those are available to everyone who backs the show yeah we we have the next couple of those planned out while yeah. at the moment which yeah. is kind of exciting um I think, yeah. I think you and i are really fucking amped about all of them um Me too, it's, yeah. it's also worth noting and like i don't know we're we're at the end of this podcast so if you're listening to this part right now it means you probably like the show a bit so it's worth mentioning this is episode number 99 canonically of the podcast yeah um, our next episode is technically episode 100 i don't know if we're gonna like do anything exciting for that episode in particular beyond just like just do a normal episode of the show but um we are trying to make the bonus episode for next month something special um to try and I, I guess like kind of cement that in a way so we will be celebrating the 100th episode via the bonus in august is the plan yeah that is a really cool landmark honestly like i i've i've loved doing this show since the very beginning and that joy has only grown which is really like that's really amazing to have done something ev- pretty much every week for the last two plus years and like still enjoy it 
Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, you uh, we are we are um, technically at 108 episodes total released. And this will be, I guess, um, actually, no, I guess 109 because the crystal bonus will be out by the time this one comes out. So this will be the 110th episode total, including bonuses. Uh, but but canonical, like regular episodes <laughs> of Into the Into the Aether. Uh, this is episode number 99, which is kind of wild. I love that that implies that the bonuses are fan fiction. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In this bonus episode, the Green Lantern and Batman smooch. Yeah, they're, um, all, they're all spinoffs. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, yeah. we'll release a document that's like, okay, this is the stuff that's canon. This is the stuff that's not. <laughs> Here's the Into the Aether timeline. This is where <laughs> <laughs> Brendan and Steven lost the fight against, against AJ. Ganondorf. Yeah, against Ganondorf. As an AJ. But yeah, AJ's our Ganondorf. And our Navi simultaneously. But yeah, all, all that to say, also, also huge shout out to AJ uh, for just continuing to doing a, an incredible job. Like, he's I editing think, all this stuff while he's moving. He's moving yeah. during quarantine and editing our podcast, which is uh, yeah. an incredible feat. We made an extra effort to record the Crystal episode. That's already done, but we wanted to give him more time because everything like in the Last of Us 2 era was like so last minute Yeah, uh, that, you know, he but, you know, regardless, he's an incredible at what he does. And like him joining us, I think, really was like a really exciting point of the show's history. It was the Sekiro episode, I think. That was the love and daunt was the beginning of the AJ era. Yeah. Uh, uh, couldn't do it without you. AJ, thank you so thank much. Thank you, AJ. Yeah, that's it. OK, what else do you want from me? Um, thank you. We love you. Okay. Uh, if you want to find me, uh, you know where to find me. That's right. Macaroni grill. I'll be there all night. Thank you. At O'Hare airport. At O'Hare airport. <laughs> uh, O'Hare does actually weirdly have like some okay restaurants, but I digress. Anything else to say? No, BB? I got nothing. I'm all good. Thank you. Thank you so much to everybody who's listening to the show still. Yeah. Um, we have a, a lot of new listeners, which is thrilling and cool. So Thank you to all of you uh, new folk who are sticking around. Yeah. Great. Thanks for checking us out. And uh, with that, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. I am Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Enter uh, offer code Aether for 10% <laughs> off your next Brendan Bigley. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bad breath sandwich. TWG, the worst garbage dot online.